Good afternoon or morning. I guess it's still kind of uh, early here in San Francisco in the Pacific time zone. It's 11 a.m. and we're running uh, 30 minutes behind. Um, uh, my name's Darcy. I'm the host of Artful Thought. Uh, I've been away for a couple weeks. I was visiting family uh, back in Missouri, in Springfield, Missouri. That's where I grew up. And I have family in Oklahoma and Neosho now. My grandma transitioned over to assisted living. Um, but now I'm back and I'm super, super grateful to be back in San Francisco. Uh, even though there's good things and bad things in any city you go to, uh, it's it's really good to, to spend time with family, but also to return and spend time with friends that I've made here in San Francisco. And yeah, so the name of my show is Artful Thought. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to KUSF. Uh, and uh, my guest today, I and I have to have a disclaimer about um, the music today. There's something, there's a technical uh, issue with the computer and I can't connect to my music, my playlist, um, because there's something wrong with the computer. But we do have like an automated, uh, like the Enco, whatever, that we'll, we'll use for mic breaks. So, yeah. So my guest today is is Abhay Shetty. Is that how, how I pronounce your last yes, name? Yes, okay. I never... Uh, is Okay. I guess we'll... Can you talk into that one more time? So, um, so Abhay, so you're uh, an MFA writing student, just like me. That's that's how we met. Um, Abhay is a fiction writer, but um, dabbles, or like I wouldn't even say dabbles. You immerse yourself pretty much uh, a bunch in poetry. That's uh, a class that we took together, a poetry workshop. This. Uh, past spring semester. Uh, so thank you so much for being here, for being on the show, Abhay. Well, let me start by thanking oh. you yeah. for inviting me here. Yeah, I think that's the right one, maybe. Yeah. talking about poetry, but I think that... Um, we, I mean, I mean, anything in art or in storytelling or in, uh, you know, uh, I mean, we're we're here because of academia, and we sort of analyze a lot of stuff in art and poetry and all of that. Um, but I think we'll probably have a balance of of looking at why we are drawn to poetry and how it's useful for just everyday thinking and everyday uh, just being, just, you know, feeling like we have to have art, we have to have poetry as a form of release, of expression, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about poetry. It's a very misunderstood uh, art form, and I think people don't realize how connected it is to how simple it can be. You know, do you ever come across that where people are just like, I just don't get poetry? Or did you ever feel like you just didn't get poetry? Um, yes. I mean, I've met people who try to find logic in poetry, which mm -hmm. is like, I think, which is not the right way to go about it. Of course, you can like come across poetry that has logic in it, that, that is sort of accessible, as they call it. Mm -hmm. But I think poetry does something that is beyond words, although it uses words to communicate what it wants to say, but mm -hmm. it does something that is really mystical in its essence. Yes, yeah, it's ephemeral, kind of, like it's mm -hmm. 
really instantaneous. It's, uh, I, I don't know how to put it. Like, and I get into, t not, um, to, into arguments, but like to contemplate with people, how much should you revise poems? You know, um, it depends on the type too, mm -hmm. because look at how many genres there are of poetry. And that's another reason I think people feel like they can't enter, step inside of the poetry world because they have some idea of what it's, what they think it is, especially in school, whenever you're taught a curriculum of basically just Shakespeare or, you know, like other canon types of poets. And that's why I never really gravitated towards poetry because I was taught that it was this boxed, sort of, you know, boxed in camp of, of form mm -hmm. or of thinking or style or all of these different labels that people describe poetry. And it's really anything, you know, it can be anything. Of course, there's like, you want it to be tethered to something, to some idea or some feeling more so, I would say, than a story per se, like, because nothing... It can be linear. You can tell a story in poetry, but for the most part, I think that people are intimidated by classics, you know, in poetry instead of realizing that it's really just a vehicle for you to jump inside of and to let your guard down and just feel like what are the thoughts coming into your head and it doesn't have to make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... I think it would be wrong to say that, you know, only this can be poetry and that cannot be poetry. Like poetry can be anything, right? Mm -hmm. And like, for example, if I, as a poet, choose to write poetry just about this microphone for the rest of my life, I can mm -hmm. still write different sort of poems throughout my life. And it could, it could still like resonate to people and at least to myself. And it could sort of invoke and translate different emotions that I'm going through. It can reach to, it can speak things that you don't know how to really use in, in regular, I, I guess, quote unquote, regular language mm -hmm. of using all of these parameters of rules of sentence structure and grammar. And it just kind of says, okay, screw all of that. And you, especially your poetry, I think you do a really healthy balance of making it very ephemeral um, and still connected to some type of feeling that is uh, very vivid. You know, there's some type of element of image and feeling that are at one in very short ways and very short, like, line structure. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that about your sort of philosophy or approach, I guess, to poetry and how um, and how you use it in that in that way. And before we go on more into poetry, I guess to give you more of a, a, an introduction. Uh, so I so we met through the MFA program of being writers here in San Francisco, and we both moved here from uh, outside of San Francisco. Uh, so tell us about where you grew up and when you got into storytelling, a, a little bit about your background with, uh, with, um, with art, I guess, too. Yeah, so I grew up in Mumbai, in India, mm -hmm. and I wasn't really an avid reader in my childhood because none of my family members read or are into mm -hmm. poetry or literature, but 
I think I remember that I was very fascinated by the visual storytelling. So I used to read a lot of comic books, but not really read them, but just look at the illustrations and the pictures and stuff. And that fascination towards visual storytelling sort of attracted me towards the storytelling platform of cinema. Mm -hmm. And I've always been in love with cinema. I still am in love with cinema. And poetry actually met me or found me through cinema. So, I mean, this would sound really stereotypical and cliche, but I was going through a heartbreak. And then suddenly I could make sense of all the sad songs. And mm -hmm. I realized that all of these songs have been written by a single poet. And that poet and his work sort of changed my life. And his name is Gulzar. And I realized that he has published a lot of Urdu poetry as well. And I began to read his works. And then from there on, I discovered other stalwart Urdu poets. And mm -hmm. from like Urdu poetry gave me a foundation to like understand poetry as they say. And then from then, then on I moved on to like poets from all over the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's, yeah, and I, I think that is, um, I love how you put uh, poetry found you, and it's, uh, and it's not too stereotypical to say, oh, I was going through a heartbreak. I think it's that difference between whenever you listen to very age-old things that humans go through uh, that are people say that are cliche, you know, heartbreak, uh, falling in love, all of this. But there's a difference between whenever you hear what people are saying about this in pop culture, in movies, in reading, and uh, whatever uh, consumption of art or storytelling that you choose. And there's, there's a point whenever you look at it differently, whenever you understand it. Like you empathize, you feel that experience mm -hmm. instead of just observing that experience mm -hmm. it's something that you feel like it's a universal thing and not just oh that's what you know my friend is going through you know a heartbreak a breakup yeah. but it's the difference is understanding feeling at one like this is something that I'm feeling with them instead of just they're feeling this and I'm just viewing them feeling that um, yeah I would just like yeah. to add that, that you know it's very interesting that like in terms of poetry or like any form of writing and poems actually like form an intimate relationship both with the writer and the reader right mm -hmm. it's almost as if while you're writing while the writer is writing he's actually sculpting a mirror sort of thing for both himself and the reader mm -hmm. yeah and it's very tr transcendental mm -hmm. it's especially and I think you've said this and I think writers outside of poetry you'll see people in interviews um, whether they're established writers or not I think anybody can say this that you'll write something down or you'll have a thought and later on somebody will bring it up or, or quote you on something that you said or did and you forgot that you even said it and I think that's important that you, in conversation, we've had several conversations about the meaning of poetry and how you really can't p be possessive about it. You can't think that, oh, I created this thing and it's mine. And and not to downplay like creative ownership, like of course you have to pay, give credit to where credit's due of certain works, mm -hmm. but I think the reason anybody writes or expresses anything artistic 
uh, is because there's like some type of energy outside of us that is the only way that we can connect to other people, despite us being trapped in our own skull inside of ourselves and having self-centered, like having egos and uh, especially... I, I'm grappling with this in this very second, having this ego of like being attached uh, to possessive, you know, space or time or whatever, uh, and trying to let go and realize that some things are not in your control. And poetry is a good vehicle for just going with the the rhythm of um, like being attentive to to words or feelings that are just coming up in your head that did not just come from you, you know, it just, there's no way that you're the only person who would have had all of these internal, original thoughts. They're not original, but they also are you, you know, you are unique and it's a good way to, to merge those two things of your own individual identity, but also knowing that that identity can only exist because of others, because of other identities. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, in what I was referring to in terms of, uh, grappling in this very moment, I got like a really, and I hope if Aisha, if Aisha is listening, she was, uh, the Seeds You Sow podcast, uh, was on right before mine and they, they kind of went over time and I was, I just get really uptight and really, really, really anxiety pre-show, like getting everything in line and, uh, I just, whenever things go outside of my plan, I get really stressed out and negative. And I definitely showed a lot of that towards Aisha and her show. And her show's terrific. I could have just, like, been cool and let it let it go. And just, we're starting the show now. We're having a good time. And, I mean, I'm trying to de, de uh, like, flake off all of the negative juju um, that Abhay is probably just like sitting there like, I just don't want to upset her more. I don't know what to do. Um, so I'm trying to get into that peaceful, you know, bubble. Uh, you seem peaceful. I'm, uh, yeah. And I'm really good at like disguising it too. Um, <laughs> because the practice of, you know, not always wearing my heart on my sleeve. But um, yeah, how do you feel about whenever you feel negativity and control over uh control issues do you ever feel like you have um a problem with anger or irritation and what what do you do whenever you encounter those feelings Mm -hmm. um whether it's in poetry or a different type of cleansing of thinking about it or doing something yeah i I mean, I most. I mean, I do feel anger, of course, and yeah, of course, there are control issues too, especially in terms of writing. And mm-hmm. whenever I do feel that, I just stop doing whatever I'm doing and just switch to reading. I think reading makes me calm, and it's it's a really interesting relationship because while I'm writing, it's the words that are sort of making me angry, and then it's the word themselves that are sort of calming me down too so it's also a paradox in a way and that's why I feel that most of the things that are artistic cannot really be put into words however articulate you might be feeling in that moment mm-hmm. yeah and uh, do you have any examples of 
at the last time something made you angry and this is what you did to 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 to, to kind of settle yourself or any ego ego examples of like oh as a writer especially as a writer like um meeting a deadline or just like having certain expectations that mm-hmm. are swarming your head and it's hard to detach from that yeah so yeah, I was trying to work on a poem for a deadline mm-hmm. and I couldn't really write what I wanted to write about. And it took me a lot of time, a lot of days to get through it. And I was working really hard on it, but at the end of it, it was like no good. Mm-hmm. So what I did, I sort of scrapped that idea of a poem and then waited for like another couple of days at least for something to really come to me. and. I think over that period I realized that, you know, whatever comes easily to me, like, whatever I end up writing in a short period of time and without really break, without really breaking the rhythm of it, is really good writing for me. And whenever I try too hard about, like, say a short story or a poem, that, that doesn't really end up being really good in spite of the fact that I've spent a lot of time on it. Yeah. I have that, this is not in writing, but I think this is very relatable. Whenever I had longer hair and I would try to, there were days whenever I tried to really make an effort to to make it look good and it just didn't look, I I think it was a perception thing where the more I tried to force it to be the way I wanted it to look, the more I was disappointed in it. And then you know, I don't do anything in, with it, and I wake up with bedhead, and it looks great, you know? <laughs> and things are, some things, like, you just have to roll with the punches, um, and... Yeah, yeah. And also reading the works of better writers, like, mm. really great writers. It has to, it makes me angry a lot of times. I'm like, yeah. what am I doing with my my writing, you know? The good antidote to that, though, is realizing that's not their first draft mm-hmm. you know like I guess it depends on the capacity of whatever the writing is like if it's a talk or a lecture or something but also to really great writers they I mean it's very they're very um, dedicated they're very committed and it has to be through they didn't just come out of the womb you know writing every single word perfectly in every single space you know it's put in the right spot and I think that uh, that's something I struggle with of just trying to be in control of time of using every single second as productively as possible instead of thinking about um, like enjoying time too and knowing that experiences are what informs your work too instead of just like always being like I have to transcribe every single second perfectly because then I'm not feeling it. I'm not giving myself space to be a part of it and rather be outside of it, you know? And uh, that's a hard balance to, mm-hmm. to know because everybody's different. Their relationship with self and world, um, that's a very, very heady topic <laughs> um, of, of how to navigate what it means to do to be a hard worker and what it means to be um, just a, a human, to be a person who is not being lazy but taking care of themselves too um yeah i should probably turn that off but um so i wanted to ask you uh about 
Well, I guess we kind of went over this. Uh, what what do you enjoy about the process of writing once you get over those hurdles? Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't have to talk about anything like what you're writing on now if you don't mm-hmm. want to, because I know that's kind of like we're both working on our thesis, yeah. you know, and we graduate this coming semester. And what are some joys you get while writing or rewards you get from the challenges of writing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that I could list out, but I think mainly what fascinates me is that I get to serve as a medium for something to travel from the unknown to the known world on the, onto the page. That idea itself, it's so beautiful when I go through that experience, you know, doing that and living that experience while writing is something that I always look forward to. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just the whole process is so mystical, so mysterious. and to be in that journey during that time, just to wait for that thought, for that poem, for that idea to come to you and to let it breathe inside you, to let it sort of cultivate itself and like wait for the right moment for it to be like ready to be outside in the world in a tangible form. I think that is so beautiful to experience. And I think it's also, I think also this experience is the closest that I could come to in terms of experiencing maternal feelings, I guess. Although it will still always be like way away from the real deal, but still. In terms of like creation? Yeah. 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 Like birthing Mm -hmm. different and yeah, I, I know what you mean. And well, I mean, I guess I don't know that perspective because I guess it's so ingrained in my identity I'm already a woman so Mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to look at it and I like how you put it that way instead of uh like especially with men uh looking at their work as products and I think that's a huge distinction to look at your art as uh creation as work and not as pro I think product is such a an associative term for capital, you know, mm-hmm. to to make something because uh, there's supply and demand. And rather, I think art and your work and your creation is irrelevant to all of that, of producing something for somebody else to consume. I mean, that is great if people want to consume it, but I think it really does start with your own desire to create, to feel like you're, um, ex- you know, ex- exuding something into the world, you're offering something. Uh, whether people look at it or not, (laughs) I think that there's an energy that comes out with it. That's getting really, really meta. But, um, but there's something about the release of, of that, of letting, letting that come out. Yes. Putting it on page. Yes. And I think writing is also about having a conversation with yourself, Mm -hmm. which is really important. Yeah. And how many times do you surprise yourself too? Like, it's kind of like exercise. Every time you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to exercise, and you're dreading it, you're trying to convince yourself not to do it, but every time you do it, you you feel great. You're like, why did I try to talk myself out of this? I'm very surprised by the results of feeling better. Mm-hmm. I had to work, but I feel great because I did it. Uh, and that's what I feel every time, not every time, sometimes you can overwork writing, you can go into it with the wrong intentions, but whenever you just 
wake up and, or at whatever time of day, I know writers have different rituals and different times of day to where they, the golden hour, golden two hours of the day, maybe it's four to six or, you know, seven to eight a.m. or something like that. But it is a really interesting way to really untangle stuff inside of your head. Um, it's your, our minds are just swarming with stimuli, you know, with these different things that are happening inside and outside of us. And I think writing is a good way to feel centered Mm -hmm. in like, you do have a power inside of you to, to be positive and to create something that even if it's telling the truth, that's not so positive. It's still, you're, you're, you're taking ownership of how, how you can, uh, deal with the world. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's very empowering to put your pen to page yeah. and to speak yeah. your own truth. Yeah. I like the idea of the golden hours. So mm-hmm. do you have like golden hours in your writing schedule? The morning. Okay. I think it, it's not always that way, especially whenever I was younger, I could write anytime. Um I think it was just because I was just I'm going on 30 this like in a month or mm-hmm. less than a month and you just turned 30. I did. We're both 89 babies. Mm-hmm. And Definitely, I'm seeing some patterns change over time with my writing process. How about you? Have you, usually the morning time is my golden hour. What's your golden hour? I prefer to write in the morning too, mm-hmm. so that I get done with it and then I can like do other things throughout the day. Yeah. But there are days when it does not happen, when ideas just won't come to you, right? So I try not to force myself to write because whenever I end up forcing myself, the writing is never good. Yeah. So I know there'll always be a day or two in the week that I will not end up writing. So I try to focus all my energies towards things that I like to do. Yeah, that's like your your cheat day, I guess. <laughs> or like, you know, I keep on using this analogy with um, exercise, with physical exercise. But I think it's like a very spiritual exercise uh, that's very compatible with the different habits that you have with writing. And uh, I... Uh, in scenery, what do you think about like the place where you write, your environments? Yeah, sometimes it's good to be in a comfortable place, but then sometimes you have to get out of that comfort zone just to encounter something new. You know, sometimes like the space that you're in sort of gets like blocks the flow of the energy of the thoughts that you're trying to get to or like if the thoughts are trying to get to you, it sort of becomes a barrier in a way. And then you have to get out and move to a new place just so that you can attract like new thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, because the whole problem, I think, um, with my writing life and my personal life is that I'm stuck inside of myself, seeing the same things over and over and over, and yeah. I don't feel inspiration. And I just feel trapped in my own head, and I need to go and air out some of the negative juju within myself or just the boredom, you know, or just like not feeling motivated, uh, you know, struck by anything triggered to, to really take off and start the creative, uh, conversation again. And I look at poetry, especially as like conversational, um, because I think there's so many good companion poems that, uh, speak to one another, um, Mm -hmm. that are easier to, to look at and be like, oh, this poem reminds me of this author. Like, that comes up so much in Poetry Workshop where I think that 
it's just a recycling process too and it's healthy to go out and see the world and see these cues of uh, whether you forgot about you know that tree in the park over there and you're revisiting it and it ignites something else inside of you or you just see a new a fresh new scene that mm -hmm. you've never encountered before and it opens up the world of possibilities and it gives you hope you know like that you're not just stuck like you uh are uh have written your best work and that's you know like you've hit your peak or anything i don't think that um that can be possible hopefully not possible for us being only 30 uh, and <laughs> because most writers and it's you try not to compare yourself either based on age because some writers hit fame by the time they're 20 and some writers d never see anything published until they're 50 and it's just different for everybody and one size doesn't fit all the the trick is to just keep going regardless of who recognizes you and who doesn't uh, so what are some uh, well, we kind of went over this. I said, what are some reasons you think it's difficult for people, or for you or for me, even as poets, to understand poetry? And we already went into that. Um, mm -hmm. What about where you grew up? How were you taught poetry in, in childhood? So in school, we studied poetry from like different languages. Mm -hmm. And there were like Hindi poets, and like Marathi poets, mm -hmm. and some English poets, but... I was not really interested in poetry at that point in my life, so I didn't really pay attention to it. And I can vaguely remember some of the lines because we had to like memorize them for like exams and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, I don't know, I think society has always in a way looked down upon poetry in a way, mm -hmm. especially poets who are coming up and like, unless you make it big as a poet, you know, you're always bound to be someone who's like really unknown whose work would never be like, talked about or like praised in a way yeah and i think poetry probably gets more backlash than fiction or nonfiction and other genres of writing because it's the least lucrative but it can be the most lucrative uh, in terms of if you become like the poet laureate or I don't want to say lucrative, but um, that is part of it or getting accolades and getting titles that are very hoity toity sounding. And uh, there's an elitism to, to, to poetry in some ways, but there's also a very like people look down on you for trying to pursue poetry. Just like with music, whenever people start a band and they have big dreams of making it one day and it's, very cutthroat to mm -hmm. make it in music on your own or without you know having any connections to to anybody just starting out fresh and uh i mean persistence is key uh whether you get uh i think the end game uh just always you shouldn't ever have an end game sort of like idea of like what means you've made it that you're successful because people will hit their prime way too soon you know like 25 year olds th that's why we have the 27 club of musicians dying you know committing suicide or dying from a drug overdose or something by the time they're 27 because i think that there's this pressure to 
to be this artist on a pedestal, you know, to be larger than life. And that's a very warped sort of perception of why you should be an artist or why yeah. you should be a poet. Mm-hmm. I think different people will define success in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for a poet or any artist to treat the art form that you're practicing as an end and not a means to the end is important. I think just to relish the fact that you're creating something out of nothing and like you're putting your voice out into the world. Like in terms of writing, it's like you're weaving words so that the voice of your soul could out could be out there in the world for people to understand how you view the world. And it's like you're putting out a new perspective in front of the world and saying to the world that, you know, the world can be seen in this way too. So I think for some people that's enough and that is success. So it doesn't matter if you like end up being a millionaire or like end up winning like different awards. But that like feeling of creating something out of nothing matters. Yeah. And success is not synonymous with uh, happiness. Because there's so many successful people who are not happy. And then there are people who are happy that aren't successful and they're okay with it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, and you can't define it. It's not definitive for, uh, I mean, money is probably the only way people can agree on some level of success. But that can really be deceptive on the process, the ethics of how you get to that landing point of making a dollar off of your work. And it gets really, really arbitrary on that road because the starving artist archetype is very true. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like it's hard to, especially with social media and the ways that people just don't pay for, and I'm guilty of this, you know, of not paying for people's work that are artistic. And whenever you go to work on a poem or some type of writing or something that has to do with research that goes into your your work as an artist or a writer, people don't really see you as working if you're at a coffee shop doing that. you can. People don't understand, they don't value your work ethic like they would like a doctor, you know, who's at their job or a receptionist or yeah. somebody who's on the clock and making money, you know, minute by minute, whereas we're doing this for free, but we're also hoping this is our, you know, some part of our career path, uh, but also a passion. And it gets really hard to, to, to build that space within yourself Mm -hmm. and to feel like, and to feel encouraged because people have that perception about, oh, artists don't really work it's like no we we really are like it's just it looks different from the way other people work yeah Yeah. that's that's true like i mean the common perception that work is only that sort of earns you money is in a way absurd to think about it because there are so many people who work for charity right without expecting money in return but it is still work in a way and it that work is much more important Yeah. And yeah, there's different. That's another thing of like uh, people, especially whenever you see people in the morning going off to work uh, and comparing the value of what work it is you do to. 
and I think that definitely like sometimes like other people's jobs definitely take priority over what I do um and that's another head scratcher and I think that's why um Virginia Woolf um committed suicide she famously walked out into like a river with her in a fur coat I think with the pockets full of stones so that she couldn't get swim back up to the top to weigh her down and she dealt with like is my work valuable am I actually giving anything meaningful purposeful to help the world be a better place and that's another heady thing within each artist of like what am I actually offering to better the world am I contributing in a way that's effective and now at this day and age because we blend so many different fields together in activism and uh and communication in general we're more in each other's paths crisscrossing whereas i think in virginia wolf's time she was you know like more secluded you know that was her identity that was her job was being a writer and only that and I don't have, I'm not like a Virginia Woolf scholar, so I might have some of those details wrong, but it's, we're living in a different time where we intersect with different types of workspaces, and uh, yeah, it's just hard to balance all of them at once and to feel like your time is valued. Only, it really just, whenever other people, whenever you feel discouragement uh, in terms of writing and creating that space and valuing your time, I think whenever you feel discouraged by others, um, it's really just your own self, like letting uh, negative ideas about, is this worth my time? You know, like Mm -hmm. you're letting that get triggered instead of just learning to like tune out distracted, discouraging feelings about the value of your work. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think like grappling self-doubt has always been a part of the artist's life like throughout mm-hmm. history uh, but I think doubt self-doubt is important I think it helps in honing your craft in a way if mm-hmm. you end up meeting people or like getting only praise then there's something wrong mm-hmm. that's how I look at it and yeah I think it yeah it helps you to understand what's not working with your writing and whether you're changing whether you're evolving as an artist or not mm-hmm. yeah yeah i just yeah it's like an evolving process of um you're continually like learning new things about the process and to not have any sort of um uh i guess absolute definitions of what it means to be a writer you're always discovering new ways, mm-hmm. um, reinventing, uh, different, different ways to approach the, the identity as a writer. But I like to say that I'm a human first, you know, like I think yeah. that taking your works too preciously, you know, like thinking, Oh, my poems are my babies. You always think about like, what if somehow like my house burned down or like Google drive just completely plummeted and got erased and all of my work was lost Mm -hmm. and to think that sucks that you lost all of that work but you're still here you know you can still recreate stuff or just continue creating maybe all that work is lost Mm -hmm. 
and um, to know that uh, that you are a human who knows how to um, adapt to situations instead of being like, oh, I'm this writer and I'm this identity and that's all there is about me. But no, I think that um, they go hand in hand, like your human qualities come out in, in you as a writer and uh, vice versa, the writer in you. Some people will, especially after this program, being in here for two years, you build a certain type of vocabulary or like a way of talking that people are like, oh, you must be a writer. Um, but I don't ever want it to come off as like a pretentious thing. That's another thing. And that's why I like San Francisco's MFA program is because... life. So it's this is a cool conversation I'm having with uh, Abhay Shetty. And Hello. yeah, so Abhay's also in the MFA writing program. And we talk so much off mic uh, about this. This is the first time we've talked on air about poetry and art. Uh, but we've had so many conversations that um, are always like ever, ever um, evolving about our process, uh, you know, in in unity and community as as writers, and uh, I feel super supported and uh, kindred spirit uh, sort of vibes from Abhe in, in every sort of encounter that we have, and it's such a treat to to have you on the mic um, here today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for inviting me. Yeah, and, and I, for being so kind. Of course. And it's, I mean, mutual. I think that your energy, your light, your calmness, and your openness to talk about the truth of of things and how it's, you know, arbitrary and how you can't really control things really inspires me. And your patience uh, to uh, to talk, like I, I don't know. I'm I'm a very uh, <laughs> kind of a turning into a control freak in <laughs> in college, and I think Abe, you really helped me uh, deflate that sort of like that's not important. Uh, you don't like point it out to me like in an intervention sort of way, but you're an example of of you know you don't need to be in a rush. You don't need to uh, to get all hung up on your perception of what is the plan you know because the plan is there's extenuating factors that get in the way or mm -hmm. are part of the way and maybe mm -hmm. it's just a matter of looking at them as uh you know part of your experience as a human instead of thinking it's good or bad if it's not part of your itinerary mm -hmm. uh, so I, yeah. I think it's less about me or like it's good that i could sort of help you in a way but i think the universe used me as a medium so that you could learn yeah you yeah you have such a great temperament that um does remind me of a lot of the ways other people and other energies the calmness that you encounter in nature or anywhere random even like if you're in the middle of the subway and all of a sudden you're just hit with this power of like serenity of like i don't have to get all uptight you know i don't have to feel anxiety over, you know, all of these people who are in my space, you know, I can just let go and just go along with the ride. Mm -hmm. And I think you are such a huge, like, uh, you're, that's part of, like, the way your demeanor is. 
but also too I think you're very like meta aware of why that's effective and you know how to like articulate it and help help um, others or like not even just help but just like explore with others and conversation about mm-hmm. these yeah. these things and yeah, thank you yeah or maybe I'm just a good I'm just good at sort of hiding the chaos that is within. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned that earlier about myself, where people who do have demons or Roman amok inside of their head and inside of their heart, it's a battlefield mm-hmm. inside of yourself of always feeling, you know, like you have to, uh, whether it's your fault or not, of having certain negative feelings and that are really destructive for your uh, for your own sense of what you want to do in your own life and to create uh, positive things and help mm-hmm. people and help yourself. And uh, sometimes the fake it till you make it motto is necessary. And sometimes you have to pause, not fake it and realize, oh, I have to embrace and look through what the anger is or what the irritation is because it's part of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no sense in covering up reality whenever it's it's there, you know. It's not because it's a fault of you. It's a fault of you if you ignore mm-hmm. ignore things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, you've been great in the past hour or so in spite of all the unplanned oh. accidents. Yeah. Been, like, really calm <laughs> and positive. Oh, thank you. Um, and I'm trying to still redeem uh, the feeling like frantic. And- Abe, you brought in some um, a, a book of poetry that you'd like to share. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about this poet and the, the poem that you'd like to read. Yeah, so the book that I'm holding right now is a book of poems by Nazim Hikmat, the mm-hmm. Turkish poet. So, he was born in 1902, and he died in 1963, and he was a political prisoner in Turkey for 18 years, and then he spent the last 13 years of his life in exile, and that's when he wrote, like, most of his poems, and the poem I really want to read right now is a poem that is titled, Hymn to Life. Him to back. The hair falling on your forehead suddenly lifted. Suddenly something stirred on the ground. The trees are whispering in the dark. Your bare arms will be cold. Far off, where we can't see, the moon must be rising. It hasn't reached us yet, slipping through the leaves to light up your shoulder. But I know a wind comes up with the moon. The trees are whispering. Your bare arms will be cold. From above, from the branches lost in the dark, something dropped at your feet. You moved closer to me. Under my hand, your bare flesh is like the fuzzy skin of a fruit. Neither song of the heart nor common sense. Before the trees, birds and insects, My hand on my wife's flesh is thinking. Tonight my hand can't ride or read. Neither loving nor unloving. It's the tongue of a leopard at a spring. 
a grape leaf, a wolf's paw. To move, breathe, eat, drink. My hand is like a seed, splitting open underground. Neither song of the heart nor common sense, neither loving nor unloving. My hand thinking on my wife's flesh is the hand of the first man. Like a root that finds water underground, it says to me, to eat, drink, cold, hot, struggle, smell, color. Not to live in order to die, but to die to live. And now as red female hair blows across my face, as something stirs on the ground, as the trees whisper in the dark, as the moon rises far off, where we can see my hand on my wife's flesh before the trees, birds and insects, I want the right of life, of the leopard at the spring, of the seed splitting open. I want the right of the first man. That's like a kind of like a historical, <laughs> like a biological, like thinking, just being in the moment and thinking of all the different ways that you're alive and all these other things are alive too. That's a very, I don't know, it's it's like the, the circle of life. Of, it is. Yeah. In so many, like so little words and so few sentences he talks about nature love and like incorporates all of the senses and freedom and still at the cen- center of it there's so much positivity right there's mm-hmm. always hope at the center of this poem yeah. yeah what was the part that he said do you mind if i look at it yeah, yeah. uh that i really liked And there's always different, there's not a wrong or right way to interpret poems. I think it's good to look at the context sometimes from whenever the author wrote it, but um, I think this is a very universal poem. I think that it can, it's very ageless. Uh, Yeah, I love, and I love the the sense of um, trusting uh, there are things about nature that are just the order of operations of nature far off, far off where we can't see the moon must be rising and just sort of this like handing over the reins of like, Oh, this I can't see. Therefore this other thing and and the revolution of earth is Mm -hmm. happening and we're a part of it. And just the human qualities and well animal qualities of to to just be this living creature on the planet to eat drink cold hot struggle smell color you know all of these things that are part of just being inside of these bodies and having to do these things to to move about and to survive not to live in order to die but to die to live and that struck me. I think that was the line that struck me most in this mm-hmm. poem. Yeah, it's it's also about longing in a way. But it's also about not surrendering to the longing, but using it as a tool to get to hope. Mm. Right? 
So in spite, I'm guessing he wrote it when he was like in exile or in prison, but in spite of all the negative situation that he was in, he could manage to string a poem about hope. Yeah. And doesn't that say so much about poetry? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, because there was no other thing inside of his life at that time that could have inspired him. <laughs> I mean, it had to have came from some other power outside of the tangible things in front of him. Mm-hmm. And that would be a great, I'm sure this exists somewhere, but some type of anthology of writers and authors who've lived in exile, who've been MIA, you know, or like uh, prisoners of war, you know, like uh, like a collection of like Gandhi and Man- uh, Nelson Mandela and and of course this this poet that would be great and that would really put into perspective our lives too <laughs> to think about like these people are re- they're writing these these stories these poems whenever there literally is no reason for them to have hope and it goes outside of reason you know of like looking at the logic of things like you said earlier that Mm -hmm. you can't look to poetry for logic that you can't I mean maybe you can it's not saying like uh you know that there's anything not to or to look you know exclusively about poetry but it's not the all defining source of this is what you're supposed to get out of poetry it's very arbitrary it's a very shape-shifting creature that takes different shapes in yeah. our yeah. specific lives and yeah. our specific paths. Yeah. 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 Like sometimes I think that before a poem meets a reader, it is already in love with the reader. You know, it does not come with any expectations. Mm-hmm. It comes to the reader with an open mind and the reader is free to get whatever he wants from the poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that goes along with the the saying that the beauty is in the eye of the the beholder Mm -hmm. and the way that you shape and mold beauty or create some type of truth to give to the world in words or in a painting or in just a conversation with somebody that um you're the you're the sculptor and you're you have all these materials to do it and where do they come from you know it's this other energy that you're like pulling from sort of like a in a kitchen whenever a chef has all of these different ingredients but how do you use those different things to work together and they don't come from you know just you you have to reach out and pull them string them together mm-hmm. and yeah what a beautiful poem and I always have problems with starting poems and ending poems but that felt like a good stopping point <laughs> like it felt so succinct and was like not too short, not too long, just a mm-hmm. very, very uh, well uh, like placed, yeah. uh, spaced poem. Like in reading it too, I, I might I'm probably gonna put up a link for the um, for the book and where you can find it. Probably he's got to be on like um, the Poetry Foundation, you know those. those yeah, websites. he's like very very well known. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, yeah, if people want to, to learn more about um, his work. And what was his name again? Uh, it's Nazim Hikmat. Yeah, Nazim Hikmat. 
So definitely, I've never read his work. Um, I think I've definitely came across his name, but uh, yeah, there's so much poetry out there then that it's really hard to think of like where to start if you've never really mm -hmm. read poetry. And really, I think it doesn't even have to be a classic poet. You know, it doesn't have to be any sort of genre. Just go to your local library and go inside and pick up even like a zine or something from local artists. There's poetry everywhere, and uh, there's no right or wrong way to start, as long as it's not, like, hateful, you know, like, mean mm -hmm. poetry to that's, uh, you know, like, oppressive towards any type of group of people. Um, don't recommend, like, Nazi poetry or anything <laughs> like that. Um, you know, I think it's common sense stuff. Uh, so, and I've been reading, I just finished... Um, William Blake's Marriage of Heaven and Hell oh. last night, and it was an older copy, um, or older, later published edition of it, and Blake is known for doing, like, uh, drawings mm -hmm. in his work, and he does, like, prose poems, and really, I got into this book last night especially, I've had it on my shelf for a while, but I got into it because I had this, and I've been talking to you about this, uh, more so in text than in person, about religious and spiritual collisions and how people, especially coming from the Midwest, I just, you know, visited family out there, and there are some Christian beliefs, um, or not Christian beliefs, but um, people who are Christians who, and people of any any religion, but I'm just coming speaking from my experience and my family, who think that this is the way, this is the only way, and everything else is bad. And I think that's just dangerous and not even Christ-like. You know, I don't think that's, a, you know, really adhering to Christian morality, you know, and according to theological takes on on uh, what it means to be a good person, you know, versus uh, trying to tell people that they're wrong for believing this way. I don't think Christ ever told anybody to go out with picket signs, you know, to tell everybody that they're going to hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can definitely think that this is the truth and the only way for you to get to heaven, and that's fine, but I don't think that it's right to tell other people that they're they're blatantly wrong and that they're evil. Um, nobody called me evil or anything, but somebody did think that I was wrong for my religious and spiritual belief systems, and I just couldn't let it sit. I couldn't let them think that because I, it's just not true. Like, I think truth is subjective in a lot of ways, and we have to use our intellect as well as our hearts. Mm -hmm. um, we have to use our minds and our um, our bodies and remember that the ego is not in charge of our faith in whatever that is, you know, whether you're Christian, Muslim, atheist, you know, all of us need to coexist. All of us need to have some type of harmony, um, regardless of our spiritual beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. And so, of course, marriage, uh, the marriage of heaven and hell is about dismantling that idea of like, uh, what's good, what's bad. Um, and I think we're running out of time, probably five minutes or so. But um, I'll just read a little bit from from his, it's like an epic poem, like prose poem, um, and it's one of the classics, even though I've been kind of downplaying the classics, 
Blake is one of those that are, like, I would definitely recommend. Um, he's pretty relevant to a lot of the things that we're talking about now, and um, which is good for style and sound in poetry, contemporary, uh, contemporarily speaking, too. Um, I love this line. I forget which section it is, but he says, If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. Mm. And he goes on to say, the man who never alters his opinion is like standing water and breeds reptiles of the mind. And I just, I love, those are just stunning instances Mm -hmm. of really succinctly, I mean, that's poetic, you know, that's a verse and it's using metaphor and all of that, that, I mean, people get too analytical I think sometimes Mm -hmm. about the aboutness of what does this represent in the poem the light or what it what it's representing outside of the poem itself but I think that's so spot on for any time yeah it's like a very crafty amalgamation of philosophical spiritual and poetic and like ideas of beauty as well right yeah yeah and it reminded me I just listened to Ocean Vuong I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's a millennial poet who's our age. He's okay. um, 30 or 31, and he is a poet and writer, just um, just uh, published a book, and he talks about toxic masculinity, and I think that really has a place in this. Mm. And, and, and I don't mean, like, all men are guilty of this, or, just, like, there are women who are guilty of this, too, of... Um, feeling like staunch in their belief and how their being is meant to be the only way to be. And it's uh, really, and whenever you think of success of doing something right in your own path, he mentions this, um, like how we use the language of, oh, you're killing it. Oh, you know, like your target audience of using like images of violence as succeeding instead of um like togetherness instead of like creating harmony Hmm. and i think that this reminded me of that of uh the man who never alters his opinion is like standing water and breeds reptiles of the mind and a reptile is definitely a a creature that we think of as dangerous you know as like being able to harm us Mm -hmm. you know if we run up on it too fast um and uh can be really, really um, volatile um, and uh, and create harm. So yeah, that was. I there was some other things that I was gonna um, read or talk on, um, but for time's sake, um, there was one more poem uh, that is really cool. It's quoted. I found it quoted in *The Way of Zen* by Alan Watts. He's a British philosopher um, who was kind of in the heyday. Um, in his heyday, like in the 50s and 60s, and really delved into Eastern philosophy and brought it over to Western Westerners and tried to represent it in a way that's not just pandering to Westerners either. And he uses this this um, uh, poem, which is called The Centipede's Dilemma. The centipede was happy, quite, until a toad in fun said, pray which leg goes after which. This worked his mind to such a pitch, he lay distracted in a ditch, considering how to run. 
And I think that's just like a way of saying like, oh, I'm thinking myself to death. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought about it so much and how to to order things, to plan things out. Mm-hmm. And so much so that it it paralyzed my sense of just natural, my natural way of being a, a creature who moves and does these things on their own involuntarily almost. And then I thought about it too much to the point of like feeling skeptical or scared or just thinking too much about it mm-hmm. instead of just doing, instead of just being and going. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, the dangers of overthinking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we think ourselves as intelligent, but as intelligent beings, but we forget that our intelligence is actually derived from the nature's intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a little bit of gratitudes, gratitude would go a long way. Mm-hmm. Gratitude is such a humbling, instant humbling uh, way to to get yourself out of some type of rut, of a mental rut, whenever you feel consumed with the woe of your own life and to think, wait a second, what is good right now? What am I lucky to have that I did not earn but was given, you know? And I had that this morning where I was messing with my hair and I realized I have a lot of hair and not a lot of people have that. And it was such a very subtle, like it was a very specific, I've never felt this type of gratitude mm-hmm. for having thick, thick hair, you know, and it was very silly whenever I think about it now, but I was just like, wow, you know, like I have this thing that keeps my head warm. I can do a lot of stuff with it. Having more hair. You've got some thick hair too. I have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, yeah, there's things that, you know, out of our control that it's nice to not focus on the things that suck that are out of our control, but to think about what are the things out of our control that are great, you know, and hair is a good a good thing to be grateful for. Um, what about you? Are there any, like, things recently that you've been grateful for? Everything, like, just the fact that I'm alive. We have mm-hmm. to be grateful about that, right? Just to be able to experience life in in a human body, like using all all our senses, and mm-hmm. it's a is a bone in a way, right? So I just try to keep it simple, and like every morning when I wake up, I'm like, okay, another day. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. I need to adopt that mindset because I'm re- I rarely have that, so I need to do that. Mm-hmm. And thank you for for that type of like. And you have to do some work too to remind yourself. You know, it's not always involuntary of the way we are. Like you have to make choices too. You know about the way you think, and that's a beautiful way to look at life every day. It's just like. I'm here and I could not be, you know, this is an opportunity to live and not everybody has, has that, you know, like this point in time is not something that everybody has. Uh, thank you so much for, for, we're running out of time, uh, because I think the next show is Mm -hmm. about to come up, but are there any last 
messages or any anything that you uh, wanted to talk about, but we didn't uh, we haven't talked about yet. Uh, no, I think we covered quite a bit. I think I don't know. I just hope that people who are listening would head towards a poetry book and like start mm-hmm. reading poetry because it could also be like a good tool of self knowledge. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, and to realize that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. So many times whenever I'm reading poetry, I'm surprised by how common, you know, some feelings, some words, and the way people use words to convey their experiences and their feelings, I relate to. And it makes me feel so good that, oh, I'm I'm not the only one. Uh yeah, any books that you'd like to to recommend outside of the 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 one that you just read out of, mm. or authors, I guess. There's some Sufi poets that I really love, Hafiz mm-hmm. and Rumi. I think mm, yeah. their works are really based on love and compassion and peace. Yeah. So that'll be like a good point to start with. Yeah, yeah. and I'll. I'll write that in the the episode archive sure, too, sure. so yeah. people will will um, can go to that. If uh, I know the radio live aspect, I love because it is so like um, first thought, best thought. You know, like we're going at this. You know, um, and it's ephemeral, it's fleeting. But I really love that um, we can also use you know my uh archived page to like reminders of what happened in mm-hmm. the episode just in case you mister you wanted to you know find out more about the authors that we read about that we read out their work um so yeah thank you so much again for for coming in thank you for inviting me yeah it, was so much fun. it uh definitely it's always humbling uh to know uh that to not be in here alone first of all you mm-hmm. know it opens up my mind and i feel very inspired by other people's thoughts and especially from you you're always super duper warm and enlightening and i always appreciate the the spirit that you bring into every conversation thank you you've always been so kind we'll go ahead and close out and thank you so much for tuning in to KUSF in San Francisco i hope that everybody is having a good it's a Father's Day weekend, and I hope that um, you're spending time with your fathers if you live close by or if, you know, they've passed away that you honor, th- that you're finding time to honor them and celebrate uh, fathers or father figures. Without uh, me rambling on too much further, I'll go ahead and sign off here and hope everybody's doing good out there. And um, until next time, peace and uh, positive juju and all of that good stuff. Uh, uh, keep on, keep on trucking, and we'll we'll see you next week. Just making shit up.